everyone from the Wicked Awesome City of Boston. Welcome to episode one of the Skeptical Junkyard. I'm your host, the Junkyard Bulldog. On this podcast, we'll talk about skepticism, religion, pseudoscience, politics, anything in the news, on social media, or just on my mind. Nothing needs to be discussed, dissected, mocked, or just plain screen. Fuck you, Ed. In this week's episode, we'll discuss Betsy DeVos, the Muslim ban, a garbage psychic study, an anti-gun control columnist being shot by his own gun, and some epic protests. So strap on in, let's get on with the show. So, 2016 was a bitch, eh? Not only lose a lot of good people, but we end up with the world with Donald fucking Trump as our president. A narcissistic, misogynistic, racist asshole, failed businessman reality star. We end up with the world where a significant portion of the United States populace can't tell the difference between fake news and real news. Where, where facts are relative, and where the truth of a story is purely based off the subject matter of the story and not the evidence backing it. A world where people actually believe that Hillary Clinton was running an underage sex dungeon out of a pizza joint. A world where Alex Jones is just as credible as your nightly news. A world where Trump can make a claim that 3 million people voted illegally in California, have no evidence to support it, but the fact that he made the claim makes it true. Where a man running for president can say the most racist and misogynistic things, and his followers will pretend they don't see how you could have gotten racism out of that statement, or how you possibly could have gotten the fact that he was mocking a disabled reporter from that clip. This is a man that basically said he could kill a man on Fifth Avenue and his supporters were too stupid to care and they all cheered and screamed, yes, we're a bunch of fucking idiots. You out there that voted for Donald Trump, you voted for racism and misogyny. I don't care if you now claim you liked his economic policies or his list of Supreme Court justices. You voted for him when his only policies were fuck the brown people, build a wall, ban Muslims. And his public comments he was best known for showed a complete disgust for women. You claim you voted for him because he's an outsider. He'd shake up the system. He didn't know anyone. He'd drain the swamp. Well, how's that working out for you? His secretary of education is a woman who neither she or her children attended public schools, wants creationism taught alongside of evolution, and was the architect of the Detroit charter school system, which was considered one of the worst failures in history that only existed to funnel money to Christian schools. So how did Trump decide that a person with no qualification was going to be a secretary of education? Well, let's put it this way. It didn't hurt that, in her own words, her family is, quote, the largest single contributor of soft money to the National Republican Party. His cabinet's full of donors, queer politicians, and lobbyists. And I know it makes you lose hope. You try to say to yourself, well, in two years, we can give control of Congress to the Democrats and limit his power. In four years, we can vote him out of office. But how can we have hope we can accomplish these things when the same people that follow Trump down that hatred rabbit hole will be heading to the polls again? Are we going to be able to reason with them? It worked so well this time. I'm going to be able to show them facts and evidence and swing them to our side. Facts didn't make a dent this time around. Are we going to appeal to their empathy? <laughs> yeah, that's cute. But it is hope, or really more the refusal to lose it, that made me start this podcast. I've been thinking about doing this for years, but I just never had the proper motivation. I guess you could say that Trump is my muse because after this election, I started to feel hopeless. I felt reason and evidence would never matter again. Then I heard voices calling to double down on the fight. I heard the voice of a podcaster I admire lament that no matter how much we did... We clearly didn't do enough. Who knows? Maybe had I started this two years ago, I may have influenced a vote or two. Maybe other people would have heard my voice and said, I can do better than that shitty podcast, and they would have taken the air and made a real impact. I want to become more active, help leave the world a better place than it was when I got here. This podcast is the beginning of my activism, but not the end. I won't let the voice of hopelessness that has worked its way to the forefront of my mind take control of me. I will fight and push it back where it belongs. 
I'm going to fight everything this administration stands for. And if I go down, at least I'll look at myself in the mirror and know I went down swinging. And for all the protest votes out there that help put in this administration full of anti-gay, anti-choice, anti-separation, anti-non-Christian, anti-immigrant, billionaire criminals, congratulations. You've done your country a great service. It's a scientific fact. So our first story tonight comes from doubtfulnews.com, November 16th, 2016. Dead or alive? Dead or alive, you're coming with me. Psychic experiment results pulled from Neuroscience Journal. Some paranormal proponents are crying foul and censorship over the retraction of a paper claiming to support clairvoyance. The paper, Predictions of Mortality Based on Facial Characteristics, was published in May of 2016 in the journal Frontiers of Human Neuroscience and officially retracted in early October. The authors have issued a statement on the retraction, disputing it, and alleging they have not been given adequate reasons for why the paper was pulled. Why? 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 <laughs> so this study is just fucking hilarious. Basically, testing was done to study whether people claimed to be clairvoyant could identify if a person was dead or alive simply by looking at their picture. They used 12 whole test subjects, and man, am I getting flashbacks of Wakefield's autism study. We know how well that worked out for us. Vaccines cause autism? Well, I have one million results that say they don't, and one result that says they do. I knew it. Just because I have it doesn't mean it's true! They showed them over 400 pictures from yearbooks and obituaries, and I don't know, but it seems like obituary pics would taint the study, but... (laughs) And gave, gave them eight seconds to push a button indicating whether the person was alive, dead, or I don't know. I feel like I don't know option was just there so they could pretend the odds weren't 50-50 because what self-proclaimed clairvoyant that claims they can tell if a person is alive or dead is going to say, well, I don't know. I believe I am psychic. My first prediction, I am either going to fly or ruin that family's picnic. Hey, you've ruined our picnic. Psychic. Plus, then it says the participants were successful just over half the time at 53.8%. And they couldn't have been counting the I don't knows as misses, which they should have been, because if they're going to do that, they would have just removed the option to eliminate the automatic miss. That means they probably just removed that from their data results. Now, there's some basic earmarks you need for a good scientific study. You need a large sample size. You need good test methodology. Like, it needs to be double-blinded, what's being tested, how many test subjects you're going to use, and what's considered a hit is determined ahead of time. There needs to be a control group. There's an effect size that's statistically significant and needs to be repeatable. That's just science. That's just science. There are more, obviously, but if a study sticks to these basics, you'll have a good, solid study in your hand. This study has the signs of a bad study right off the bat. It has a tiny sample size of 12 subjects. 3.8% is not statistically significant. You can reasonably deduce problems with the testing, too. Is it possible that a yearbook photo and an obituary photo may be different enough someone could pick up on them? How old were these yearbook photos? If the pic clearly indicated the era, one could take a chance that a photo of a teenager from the 50s may be, may be a person who is dead as opposed to a middle-aged student from the 80s. And, wait for it, drum roll, please. There was no control group. All of the test subjects were professional, quote-unquote, psychics. The funny part of this is that the authors of the study were affiliated with the Institute of Noetic Science, it's a fringe science organization founded by Edgar Mitchell, one of the Apollo 14 astronauts. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. 
and proponent of various crazy claims, including aliens are preventing nuclear war. That's crazy talk. That's not crazy talk. This is crazy talk. So the people that did this study are claiming censorship, which is what proponents of pseudoscience say when they're horribly done test their question. But they do have one good point. Why was it pulled when, as they rightly put it, if the journal deemed the results to be so problematic, how did it pass peer review and get published in the first place? Which is a damn good question. They have a lot of problems at FHM. The biggest being that they are pay for play, meaning you pay them and they publish it. There's a vetting process, but there are reports from contributors and reviewers that they aren't given the opportunity to reject a bad study outright. They have to either revise it or draw themselves as a reviewer. This study really speaks to a problem with pseudoscience being given a platform it doesn't deserve. And again, to quote the article, FHN is, quote, the most cited journal in psychology, the most cited open access neuroscience journal, and the 10th most cited journal of all neuroscience, given it with the highest impact factors within academic psychology and neuroscience. This study is absurd bullshit, but by publishing it in the first place, it gave the study credibility. Then, by pulling the study, it gave proponents of pseudoscience even more credibility by being able to point to this as proof they're being censored. Because big science knows they're right, but don't want you to know that. I mean, they must have published the paper because it met with scientific rigor, so the only reason to pull it was pressure from people trying to cover up the truth, right? That sounds about right. It is time to drain the swamp in Washington, D.C. I know I touched on Betsy DeVos earlier. Well, I didn't touch on her. I don't think I would touch on her. I wouldn't fuck her with a stolen dick. (laughs) But but I really want to break down this pick for Secretary of Education. I think I'll break down one of Trump's appointees in every podcast. And since I've already brought her up, it just makes sense to start with her. As I stated at the beginning of the show, she never went to public school, nor have any of her kids. She frankly doesn't believe in them and has put considerable effort into funneling public school money into Christian schools. She's from a rich family, but her real money came when she married into the Amway family. Sure glad he cleared that up because that crowd was about to buy some Amway products. One of the most despicable companies of all time. You're despicable. And the mother of all multi-level marketing scam companies that pop up left and right, and the poster child for pyramid schemes. Is that like Amway? (laughs) Is it a pyramid scheme? Is that what you're selling the American people? She's one of the architects of the Detroit Charter School System, which economics professor Douglas Harris said was what even charter school advocates acknowledge was the biggest school reform disaster in the country. That's terrible. This system all but crippled the DPS. He used public funds to fund private, mostly Christian schools, and in national assessments of education, Detroit had the lowest reading and mathematics scores by far for any city participating in the evaluation. And she resists any attempts to put standards on charter schools. Michigan was considering putting oversight on charter schools in Detroit, so her family donated $1.45 million to the legislators' campaigns, and the oversights just, poof, disappeared. <laughs> The Secretary of Education wants to destroy public schools in favor of charter schools and then blocks any attempts to hold charter schools to a standard. She was on the board for the Foundation for Excellence in Education, which got into trouble for paying state officials and legislators to go to conferences where they meet with the company's donors who stood to gain from the policymakers' decisions. 
She started All Children Matter, a pro-voucher group which spent $76 million in its first year to impact voucher-related races in states winning 121 of 181 races. The group's $820,000 spent in Washington during the election made it the seventh largest single PAC spender during the election. And in 2008, they were fined $5.2 million for breaking campaign finance laws, which has yet to pay. Where's the money? You like that? That feel good? That feel good? You got till five o'clock. You hear me? You got till five o'clock. You freaking psychopath. Clean yourself up. There are a lot of problems with charter schools. We're very aware of the problem. I mean, okay, good. What's the problem? Private school vouchers don't provide students and parents with real and meaningful choices. Under these schemes, the real choice rests with the schools. Voucher programs usually allow participating private schools to reject students based off numerous factors, economic status, gender, religion, academic achievement, sexual orientation, even disabilities. Public schools are required to accept all students. Studies consistently show that private school vouchers don't improve reading and mathematical achievement. In Milwaukee, the country's oldest voucher program, a recent study showed that the students of the, in the voucher program do no better in reading or math than public school students. Similar in Louisiana, 67% of public school students pass their standardized tests, whereas only 44% of voucher students do. A lack of quality control is even seen in the school buildings themselves. In Milwaukee, they found these schools to be lacking in appropriate amenities. Many of them are operating out of old storefronts, gas stations, and other rundown facilities. These schools being private also leads to the issue of schools just closing days before classes start or even after the school year starts as they are for-profit and as such can just stop doing business when they aren't making money and leaving families out in the cold scrambling to find a new place for their children. To quote the Washington Post, when education becomes a business, school quality takes a back seat to marketing, as the only measure of success is a school's ability to attract students who bring public dollars with them. Schools rely on ridiculous marketing ploys, advertising themes, and practices designed to draw students. So why is DeVos so dedicated to charter schools? Could it be that stupid people are easy to manipulate? We won with poorly educated. I love the poorly educated. So the new Secretary of Education is a religious zealot rich Aries has never had to earn a dime in her life or know what it's like to go without, doesn't believe in public education, and got the job based off money she's given to the GOP. Her entire focus in life has been to destroy public schools and funnel money to religious schools because she thinks schools need a biblical-based education. Good job, Trump. Way to drain that swamp. Just give me my gun. Sorry, the law requires a five-day waiting period. We've got to run a background check. Five days? But I'm mad now. I'd kill you if I had my gun. Yeah, well, you don't. This article comes from distractifly.com, December 30th, 2016. Pro-gun columnist dies after accidentally being shot by teen with his own gun. M.D. Harmon, an unapologetically pro-gun columnist for the Portland Press-Herald, died after being accidentally shot by a 16-year-old boy earlier this week. The boy and his father were visiting Harmon in his Sanford, Maine home on Wednesday when Harmon handed the young man one of his loaded guns to check out. Listen, if it'll make you feel any better, I'll put the safety on. Oops, guess it was already on. The gun ended up discharging one of the 16-year-old's hands and fatally wounding Harmon. Ow! You shot me, you a-hole! One thing I want to say with the story before we get started is how damn funny the comments were. My favorite was from some douche nozzle that said, quote, Gun safety is the key. Sounds like the kid's parents probably told him not to handle guns. This is what happens when parents demonize guns. 
<laughs> there's nothing in this story to indicate the parents demonized guns, but he's so wrapped up in his own narrative that nothing can get through. <laughs> there were a lot of crazy comments about this, but this one really tickled my funny bone. Stop that laughing! You know what happens when you kiss? So basically a friend and his friend son were visiting him, and he decided to show the 16-year-old one of his guns and let him hold it. Why was it loaded? Who the fuck knows? I'm assuming it was a revolver. If it had a clip, that's even crazier that there was one in the chamber. But, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword, I guess. <laughs> Isn't that just like a wop? Brings a knife to a gunfight. This guy was a hardcore anti-gun control gun nut. So much so that he even wrote an article in 2013 trashing a proposal to introduce education for the safe handling of firearms. That's the proposal of teaching people how to handle guns safely upset Captain Shoot'em-Up. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. Ow, my foot! I'm bleeding! And that article titled Gun Control from Washington, D.C. to Augusta was from April 2013. And it starts with that stupid image that shows a good guy with a gun and a bad guy with a gun before gun control. Then after gun control, the bad guy has a gun, but the good guy doesn't. As in, when turtles are outlawed, only outlaws will have turtles. So remember, guns don't kill people. Dangerous minorities do. Warning, guns are extremely dangerous. Do not purchase, own, clean, operate, or be near guns at any time. This article is a big rant on gun control. He quotes polls that fit his agenda, and when he's discussing polls that don't fit his agenda, he says, well, you can't trust polls. <laughs> he references another article about police being in favor of armed citizens, but just leaps over the idea that they want citizens to be armed only after they are properly trained and vetted. <laughs> Except X because the cop said it, but don't worry about Y because, I mean, who can trust a cop? Fuck the cops. Yeah. Fuck them. And in this article, the cops want more aggressive policies to keep guns out of the hands of people with mental issues. But he mentions a bill to keep guns out of the hands of the mentally ill and claims it's the worst of the bunch. Then he goes on this strange rant about questioning the motivations of gun control advocates, but because none of these bills ban so-called assault rifles. He says most gun crimes aren't committed with assault rifles and the gun control people know it. Quote, such weapons are rarely used in crimes. So he's making the claim that gun control advocates agree that assault rifles aren't the problem, so aren't proposing bills to restrict them, and that's proof that the, quote, rabid gun controllers, if that's not redundant, his words, are coming for our guns. See? See? It's a conspiracy. By not coming for our guns, they're trying to get our guns. Say what? At the end of this article, where he cherry-picks a police survey, he randomly accepts polls and claims that the lack of bills to ban assault weapons is just more evidence about wanting his guns. He gets angry that gun control advocates are trying to label gun advocates as, quote, crazies who think they may have to take up arms against their government, and ends the article saying people like him have, quote, an abiding distrust of the government whenever it starts tinkering with gun control, a distrust, I may add, that is well-grounded, well-established, and well-deserved. But hey... Don't label him a crazy who thinks he may have to take up arms against his government. Oh, and climate change is a hoax. Yes, somehow he managed to slip climate change into an article about gun control. So I think the avoiding of the label of crazy, ship is sailed. You're crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy. I like you. But you're crazy. By the way, best part. The article he cites about cops being pro-citizens with guns ends with the line, quote, sheep don't tell wolves what's for dinner. Maybe the fact that you think yourself as a wolf is part of the problem, or more to the point, 
Maybe the fact that you need a gun to think yourself as a wolf is part of the problem. You know what really aggravates me? It's them immigrants. They want all the benefits of living in Springfield, but they ain't even bothered to learn themselves the language. Yeah, those are exactly my sentimonies. Uh, you shut up, Bond. So Trump came out with his banned countries list. And isn't it curious that none of the countries that had people involved in 9-11 are on the list? The list includes Iran, Iraq, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Sierra, and Yemen. Total Americans killed by their citizens? Zero. You might say, well, that's future protection. Okay, but here's the real issue. Who's not on the list? And who's not on the list is Saudi Arabia. Total Americans killed by their citizens, 2,369. UAE, 314. Egypt, 162. And Lebanon, 159. Since 1975, only one illegal immigrant has been successful in killing an American on U.S. soil in a terrorist attack. He was one of the 1993 World Trade Center conspirators who did not cross the southern border. He used simple school paste to just paste his picture over a photograph of a legitimate passport of a Swedish citizen. He was detained upon entry in the United States. He was actually incarcerated during the 1993 uh, World Trade Center attacks. He was later found guilty for being involved in the early planning stages of that attack. He is currently serving 115 years of prison sentence. Oh, snap. As a reminder, none of the 9-11 hijackers entered the country illegally, and none of the 9-11 hijackers was from one of the countries on Trump's travel ban. None of the perpetrators of major U.S. terrorist attacks carried out in the name of Islam in the past 15 years have come from the nations on that list. Those countries also happen to be places where President Trump and his family have business interests. I am shocked. Shocked. Well, not that shocked. He has a lot of properties, mostly golf courses in the UAE. He has luxury towers in Turkey. In recent years, he's also formed companies in Egypt. And in 2015, his daughter, uh, who had a very prominent role in Trump's organization, said that she was looking at what she called opportunities in the UAE, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia. According to his campaign financial filings, he does not have business interests in those countries where he's imposing these new restrictions. And it's funny that Trump blames the seven countries on this list on Obama because this is a list that was compiled during Obama's administration. Why were these seven countries picked by his administration? Who knows? Maybe he decided they couldn't have Saudi Arabia on the list, so what was the point of the list? And then just let it drop. Who knows? The thing is, we don't need to know why because he never implemented any policies based off this list. But suddenly Trump has no choice but to follow Obama's lead. Alrighty then. The San Bernardino shooting that killed 14 people was carried out by an American-born U.S. citizen of Pakistani descent and a lawful permanent U.S. resident of Pakistan descent. The Orlando nightclub shooter who murdered 49 people was an American-born U.S. citizen of Afghani descent. The Boston Marathon bombers came to the U.S. from Kyrgyzstan and grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The militant who killed Marines during the shooting spree in Tennessee was a Kuwaiti-born U.S. citizen whose parents were Palestinian and Jordanian. The attempted Times Square bomber was Pakistani-American. The infamous underwear bomber was Nigerian. Richard Reed, whose 2001 attempt to blow up an airplane with the explosives hidden in his shoe. He's trying to light his shoe. It's a shoe bomb. Get him! It's gum. Gun? He's got a gun! Not gum! No! Gum! Gum! Federal 
Marshal, you're under arrest! Sir, I believe you just shattered my coccyx. <laughs> Is the reason we still have to stand barefoot at the TSA line more than 15 years later was born in the UK to a white English mother and a mixed-race Jamaican immigrant father. Nadel Hassan, who killed 13 people at Fort Hood in 2009, was born in Virginia to a Palestinian parents. The 9-11 hijackers, 15 were from Saudi Arabia, two were from the UAE, one was from Lebanon, and one was Egyptian. Osama bin Laden was a Saudi citizen, and his top deputies, including the current leader of Al-Qaeda, are Egyptian. Walk like an Egyptian. There was one terror attack in Minnesota 2016 carried out by a 20-year-old Somalian immigrant in which 10 people were injured, but no one died. And a few Somalian Americans in recent years have been arrested for and prosecuted for attempting to travel to Syria to join ISIS, but even they wanted to leave the U.S. to commit terror, attack, terror attacks, not carry them out here. And as Vox.com's Zach Beecham has written, the average likelihood of an American being killed in a terrorist attack in which an immigrant participated in any given year is 3.6 million to 1. That's even including 9-11 deaths. The average American is more likely to die from their own clothing or a toddler with a gun than an immigrant terrorist. But we're not banning guns and t-shirts from entering into the country. Okay, USA. Well, that's our show. Thanks, everyone, for giving me a bit of your time. If you enjoy the show, you can help support it by going to Patreon page at patreon.com slash the Skeptical Junkyard Podcast, where you'll get an early extended version of the show along with some extras depending on your level of donation. And as a thank you, I will compliment you on the show in any way you want. Or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the donate button on our homepage at the skepticaljunkyardpodcast.com. If you can't afford to donate, please leave a five-star review on iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. If you have any feedback or criticism, please send them to the Skeptical Junkyard Podcast at gmail.com or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Skeptical Junkyard Podcast. You can tweet us at twitter.com slash SJY Bulldog or leave me a voicemail at 857-302-2SJY. That's 857-302-2759. I'll take any input seriously as I want to provide you with the best content possible and any interesting or funny emails or voicemails will be used in the show. All this will be linked to our homepage along with links to the stories from this episode. Until next week, this is Skeptical Junkyard saying... So, whose leg do you have to hump to get a dry martini around here? (laughs) 